As we stand at the precipice, feeling the heat on our faces from the dumpster fire our country has devolved into, sometimes an escape is necessary. And sure, meth will do that for you, but maybe, just maybe, dating horror stories from someone else's romantic fuckery might be better for your health. Surely your dentist would agree. So, laugh, cry, blush from secondhand embarrassment, and revel in a playground of mishaps that just might help you forget. Welcome to The Cultural Experience, Season 1, The Alphabet Chronicles. Z is for Zaddy. Saturday night was wonderful. After some time away, it seemed like I'm finally dating differently and can enjoy the process of getting to know someone again. I'm drawing on all the lessons I learned and am starting to see the benefits. I had picked this one differently. I'd made wiser choices with things I'd said or you know, didn't say. It's amazing how fun dating can be without the fear of bedshitting or overdrawn checking accounts. Apparently, dates can be two relatively sane people getting to know one another. Who knew? <laughs> Was it possible I had finally learned how to date? Or had I found the one? I, everything about this felt different. Saturday was our second time hanging out. It was one of those dates that just kept getting better. We started with drinks at my place, followed by reservations at this cute little Mexican restaurant in Midtown. We had a table near the back, but close enough to the bar that we were still in the mix of things. Intimate, but not awkwardly so. In terms of restaurant real estate, I'd say we had the best seat in the house. Our waitress was this charming Russian girl who immediately befriended us. Before our asses hit the seat, she started asking us questions about our life, the two of us as a pair, etc. She asked how long we'd been together, took photos of us kissing, bought us shots, all of it. The night was quickly serving as an early turning point for whatever we were becoming. You could feel it. We were fast-tracking our way to a relationship. But it felt better than the times before. Saner. It felt like we were on this train because it was something we both wanted. I didn't know if anything would ultimately come of it, but we were on the same page and exploring this together was exciting. I was still gun-shy from the crazies that came before him and didn't know exactly how hopeful I should feel about it all, but... I was going with it. After dinner, we made our way to a bar, stopping on the walk to make out in random doorways, drunkenly sharing things neither of us would remember the next day. We bonded over insecurities and hopes for our future, crazy exes, loving parents. Our intimacy grew with our drunkenness, and by the time we reached the bar, it felt like this second date had turned into our third or fourth. It was a great night. We danced like fools and laughed our way into exhaustion, tiring just as the music transitioned from Britney Spears to House. We grabbed a cab back to my place and fooled around before falling asleep mid-kiss. The next morning, our hangovers were real. We fumbled around like teenagers and somehow found a way to get off. It was fine. We had sexual chemistry, but through the haze of our headaches and bad breath, I'm not exactly sure how masterfully we were expected to perform— We went to get coffee and a bagel in an attempt to quiet the pounding in our heads. It helped. A bit. Conversation was slow, and I think both of us were ready to nurse our hangovers alone, in peace. After we finished our nosh, he went on his way, hours after he should have, and I attempted to get my day going. That morning, something felt 
different from the night before. The magic wasn't there the way it had been while we were getting our picture taken or or while we were sharing secrets in doorways. I don't know what changed. Maybe it was just the palpable need to be left alone so that we could silently pray the throbbing away. Unclear. Regardless, it wasn't a conversation to be had that morning. And frankly, I couldn't focus on it at that time. I I needed to figure out what I was going to do about my afternoon. I I was supposed to go on a coffee meet-and-greet with a new guy. This is what I call a first date I'm not sure will lead to anything. Like, maybe I'm going to meet you, greet you, and then run the other way. (laughs) Never can tell. This was a new system I'd implemented to help my psyche and maybe theirs. The hope was to keep enough emotional distance between the two of us, even subconsciously, in an effort to maintain some sanity through the maddening process of procuring a mate. And with all the shit dates I've been on, can you really blame me? Fuck. My meet-and-greet started texting mid-morning, right as my date from the night before was leaving. Honestly, I was hoping he was texting to cancel. I thought about doing it myself, but I, I knew we wouldn't actually reschedule. If we didn't meet that day, it would be one of those canceled dates that hangs in purgatory for perpetuity. It always happens to the ones you don't really have a great reason to cancel on, but also can't come up with a great reason to reschedule for... Those situations where you're interested in meeting the other person, but you're just not in the mood when the time comes, and any effort to coordinate schedules for a second time feels laborious. Since the spark from my last date had faded considerably in the biting light of day, part of me felt like I should go, just in case the fizzle was foreshadowing for the death of our budding... whatever... I figured I could also use this outing as a litmus test to see if last night really was as great as I thought... With the fear that it would end up in the graveyard of delusionally great dates, it might not ultimately matter, but I figured it was worth the research. So, we didn't cancel. And the minute he found out I was hungover, he all but insisted we see each other. I think he assumed that if he saw me in this disheveled state, he could figure out if he wanted to stick around for the perfectly plucked and quaffed version. I was just hungover enough that I had no fucks left to give, so I agreed. I threw myself into the shower and dripped dry as I pulled together an outfit with minimal effort. We'd both be lucky if it matched, much less highlighted by assets. I grabbed my sunglasses in an attempt to cover the voluminous bags under my eyes, and, after painfully retarding my getting-ready process and slowing my gait to a hobble as I traversed the several blocks downtown, somehow I arrived at the coffee shop on time. He was classically Connecticut cute, sideswiped hair with a deep left part and a collared shirt perfectly layered under his sweater. A little uptight, but in an endearing way. At some point during our previous texts, we talked about going on a walk through the park with his dog. I was a bit disappointed he'd left the dog behind, but he was making up for it with some charming banter. There were a few annoying gay jokes and the occasional girl he would throw in, but, you know, I wrote it off his nerves. Whether or not I was being too forgiving was yet to be seen. I took any trepidation in stride, and we made our way up Central Park West, looking for an entrance to the park. As we approached the Natural History Museum, we had to stop in an attempt to dodge some construction vehicles. It was at this exact moment that my life changed forever. So, have you ever thought about having a family? he asked. This felt like an odd question for a first date, at least this early on a first date. Uh, I, you know, I toyed with the idea. I, I think it all depends on who I end up with. You? 
Well, yes. In fact, my surrogate is having the fertilized embryo implanted in about a month. What is happening? I'm pretty good about keeping my cool on a date. I I figure, if nothing else, whatever crazy I get thrown is fodder for a good story, though this was strikingly unique. I kept it together somehow and continued asking questions. Are Are you planning to stay in the city? How long have you been considering this? Am I too hungover to process this? I don't know if I got sufficient answers to my questions, but they were all resolved in their own way. Apparently, he hadn't decided if he was staying in the city. He'd been considering having a child for years, and yes, I I was decidedly too hungover to process what was happening. Luckily, the date ended right as my capacity for accepting new information hit, and we decided to meet later that night for a drink. I can't say exactly why I agreed. On the surface, it seemed like we were on such different life journeys, but something about our chat made me curious... That's when I started thinking, which is rarely a good thing. When, I, when left alone with my thoughts, all, all kinds of crazy things start to happen. But this time, these thoughts weren't crazy. They were rational, calm. I started thinking about my life and what I wanted, whether or not I was fulfilled by the current choices I was making. Buzzing from one guy to the next was fun for a bit, but I wasn't finding any fulfillment. And frankly, You can only have so many guys shit in your bed and so many needles in your ass before you have to accept you're officially doing it wrong. I started to realize that I'm ready for the next step. Ready for a husband, a partner. Ready for someone I can come home to and cherish. Someone who loves me and sees me for the beautifully flawed person I am. Someone to wake up next to every morning. Someone who wants to kiss me even when I have morning breath. Someone to make a life with. To make a home with? Maybe to make a family with? Was this the universe giving me my family? My baby? I didn't realize just how expensive it was until our conversation. Over $100,000 just for the surrogacy. And then you still have to have the money to raise it. I feel like meeting this man was forcing me to evaluate my choices and think seriously about what I wanted for my future. Did I want this life? Was, Was I ready for what this would mean? Within a year, I could have a child. I could be the father to another human. I could live in a beautiful home with my little family where we'd make a life for us. Is this my opportunity to have everything I've always wanted? I tried to internalize some amazing advice. If you don't have the answers, just stay still. They will come. I kept trying to stay still, but it's hard. My choice is didn't just involve me anymore. I had other people to consider, and and I didn't want to lead him on if this isn't what I wanted. I know these thoughts were piling on too soon after meeting, but if I didn't see this as a possible future for my life, then I had to respect him and let him know sooner than later. It it wasn't fair to string him along. Seeing him for a second time that day, if if I knew I couldn't make those life choices, it wouldn't be right. I couldn't decide. This might be what I want, I think that's why it was scary. After a seemingly endless string of flaky, horrible men, I might have finally found one to give me stability. A family. It's interesting. There were no fireworks. No explosions, bells, drums, trumpets. It was was quiet. Happiness came in on tiptoe, and maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. I think it's important to consider that the only real relationships I've had started with a bang. 
a bang. I mean, the woman and I proclaimed our love for one another by screaming and punching walls. Then I, I fell in love with the alcoholic immediately after hugging him at two in the morning. I just, I think maybe there's something to a slow, mature progression. And it's possible we could have that. At the very least, our walk in the park set the foundation for one. It, it was a shockingly honest conversation that opened me up for what we might become. Sometimes being open can make you nervous, but at least for me, nerves accompany growth. I've never grown without feeling nervous. So, I met him for drinks that night. I'm glad I did. With the afternoon to think, I had more insight into what I wanted to know from him, what I needed to know. I came into the restaurant armed with questions, and so did he. That night was the first time I was interviewed for the position of father. It made me uncomfortable, but I liked it somehow. And in turn, I was interviewing him as well, curious to see if he was the right candidate to be my husband. I don't think either of us left the meeting with a sense of certainty, but we both saw potential. Hope, maybe? Hope that we had finally found someone to fill the void? I decided I needed to do more research and continued seeing him. Things were casual but intense, if that's even possible. We texted, but nothing excessive. We saw each other frequently, but not obsessively. I I felt like I was free to live my life, and he was free to live his. Is this the way it's supposed to be? To be honest, it was the first time in my life I I felt like I I was dating an adult. It was refreshing. I do wish it had been under different circumstances. I wonder if things would have happened the same way if he hadn't been trying to have a baby, or if I wasn't only just learning my lesson, finally tackling the dating scene with clear intention and focus. I'll never know for sure. We only have this reality. The longer we dated, the closer we became, and the more I realized I was going to have to make some huge life decisions very quickly. If everything went according to his plan, there was going to be a kid and a house. Soon. I had no other course of action than to assemble the troops. The troops consisted of a collection of five friends from different parts of my life with varying experiences. One was my friend of 20-plus years who has a seven-month-old with another on the way. Literally got pregnant again the first time they had sex after the baby. Oh, God. He has since had a vasectomy. A girlfriend of 15 years who might want kids, but would have to start trying now. A girlfriend in a semi-satisfying relationship who isn't in a place to have children. A gay friend with no interest in having kids, or even a husband for that matter. And a girlfriend who power dates like I do. I thought this research would offer up an interesting cross-section, as no one had similar life experiences. I was right, and everyone provided vastly different opinions. You're certifiably insane. Um, (laughs) this is not your baby. You fell asleep with a bag of chips in your bed last week, so I'm thinking no. (laughs) Do it. I mean, why not? (sighs) You would be such an amazing dad, but like, is this what you want right now? He sounds amazing. A house with him sounds amazing. Babies are amazing. You're amazing. Live this amazing life, Cole. So, that exercise proved futile. I will say this about my life. The positive things never come in a normal way. They are always sudden and unexpected, at least up to this point. I had to take this into account while processing the troops' advice, didn't I? 
Or did all these positive things in my life come about in spite of these abrupt, unexpected life experiences? And were these experiences choices? Have I been in control of the madness this whole time? Is the crazy happening to me because I ultimately chose it? Is it possible that I could have avoided all the hardships and the madness if I decided to? Maybe I chose the alcoholic. Maybe I was looking for someone to love me and he was the only one showing me that he would. So I chose that life. Maybe I chose to put myself in this destructive situation because I thought the benefits outweighed the consequences. If I'm completely honest with myself, I knew he was an alcoholic and yet I chose to be with him. I chose to move in. I chose to allow him to affect my well-being. I chose unhappiness. No longer. This man and this opportunity opened my eyes to the struggle I'd been creating in my own life. Imagine the possibility of positive choices when paired with happiness. The potential for inevitable good is endless. As I was trying to take this in and figure out what the hell I wanted, I started having panic attacks. But nothing like panic attacks I'd had in the past. There was an outward calm that accompanied these. I was feeling like, in addition to coming to terms with my power and culpability and life stumbles, I needed to simultaneously make all the important life decisions. Which, in a way, I did. I needed to decide whether I wanted a baby in nine months. I needed to decide whether or not this was the man I wanted to have a baby with. I needed to decide if I wanted to marry him. I needed to decide if I wanted to move in with him. I just felt like too much. My body didn't know how to handle it. But I I wasn't spiraling out of control. For the first time in my life, I felt like I had strength amongst the madness. My insides were a mess, but I was holding it together on the outside. I had so much calm clarity in other aspects of my life, and I felt like this anxiety and uncertainty was a byproduct of growth. I just kept hoping I would come out the other side with answers. I needed them, and soon. Not only for him, but for myself. The inner upheaval of leveling up was taking its toll. I was trying to stay still and live in the nebulous unmoving where the air feels quiet. Well, quiet until you start panicking. Once that happens, it feels like the air is slowly being siphoned out of whatever still room you're in. You can no longer breathe. It's a hell of your own making, but you're not quite sure which ingredient tipped the scales. I stayed faithful that these panic attacks were me coming through the birth canal, the suffocating moments before I'd have the answers, know what I wanted, and be ready to make a decision. But the canal was long, and I wasn't sure where the ending was. I told myself to keep breathing. The panic attack started the day after he took me to look at a house in Connecticut. It was beautiful. Oh, God. It was everything I would ever want if I was planning to move out of Manhattan. It's everything I would ever want if I was going to raise a child. We mapped out the house, planning where the playroom would go, where the nanny's room would be. When talking to the realtor, he referenced the two of us moving there together. It was wonderful and simultaneously the most frightening thing I could imagine. Frightening only in that I I still didn't know what I wanted. And this little trip was signaling to me that I needed to know. I mean, was this something I could do? Would I be able to work from home and help raise a baby? Would I stop working for a bit? Would, Would I be willing to leave my friends? And what made all of this worse was that he and I weren't at a point in our relationship where we could really discuss these things. Should we be talking about them? Sure. But dating is delicate, and I didn't want to fuck this up. 
I was finally making the choice to date someone who could provide me with the experiences and life that I wanted. I just wish I knew if I wanted them right now. The work trip he took to Chicago a few days after our trip to Connecticut was a godsend. It gave me time to have my panic attacks in private and really think. While I was breathing through the madness, he was keeping me updated on the surrogate's beta score. Apparently, when a woman gets pregs, her body emits a chemical, and however much her body produces constitutes her beta score. It starts relatively low and should grow exponentially until it begins to level out further into the pregnancy. The first measurement was positive for the chemical, but it wasn't high enough. The doctors wanted more. The plan was for the surrogate to come back in two days, take the test again, and then come back two days after that. Each time they measured, they wanted the score to double. After Monday's relatively disappointing but promising results, she went back for more tests on Wednesday, two days after the initial measurement. The number was higher, but it didn't double. I tried to read up on it as best I could, scouring the internet for any information I could find. My understanding was that the rising score was promising, not great, but not the end of the world. We'd have to wait two more days and see what the measurements were on Friday. It was interesting. At this point, I felt like he and I were in this together. Felt like I was part of this journey, and I, I liked it. I was starting to get excited about the prospect of bringing a baby into this world. I was getting excited about doing it with him, less anxious. Maybe this was the future that I wanted, and maybe this was the time for it. The reality of the beta score pulled me closer to him, and the realization that he could be the man I wanted to spend the rest of my life with slowly emerged from the stillness. I was excited and nervous to see what would happen at the end of the week, thinking that if the baby took, I'm pretty sure I was ready to make my decision. Friday came. The beta score was lower than it was on Monday. The pregnancy didn't take. As stressed as I'd been about needing to make a decision, all of my agita was replaced with sadness when I realized this baby was no longer a possibility for him, for us. At first, I felt ludicrous even considering myself in the sadness, but, I mean, he took me to look at a home in Connecticut. He talked to me about where we could put the crib in my apartment. In hindsight, this was definitely putting the crib before the horse. I wasn't just a side piece. Or was I? It was okay for me to be sad about this. Or wasn't it? I mean... He hadn't come out and asked me to help him raise this kid, but he had absolutely been interviewing me for the position. Maybe I am the side piece, though. (laughs) Maybe I'm just a filler until he meets the man he really wants to raise this baby and start his life with. We had plans to do dinner on Friday when he got the news, the day he got back from Chicago, but with everything going on, I didn't know if that was best. I mean, he just found out the pregnancy didn't take. Is dinner with me really what he wanted? Was I the one to be comforting him at a time like this? We had made these plans before he knew for sure about the baby, which, when I think about it, is interesting. He knew Friday would be the day he received news, one way or the other. Maybe he really did want to share the highs and lows of this whole process with me. Maybe he really was considering me in this equation. You don't do that with a side piece. Where was this insecurity coming from? You'd think that if we'd been having these experiences and sharing these intimate life moments together, I wouldn't be second-guessing this. And yet, here I am. Was this doubt on me? Was this because of him? 
He's never been very forthcoming about his feelings, which tends to be the issue with most men I've surrounded myself with. Maybe he felt like it was too soon to talk about some of these things. I don't know. I think part of me needs to hear him say how much he cares for me, how much he needs me and wants to share a life with me. And yet, I'm one of the first ones he called about the pregnancy. I'm the one he took to look at houses. I just don't know. I don't know if it's his insecurities that are fueling these feelings or mine. Interesting lesson, though. Maybe, just maybe, I should listen to men's actions for a change. For so long, I've allowed them to lure me in with their words, tricking me into ignoring the stark contrast of their behavior. I've allowed them to convince me that what they say is more valid or important than what they do. Here, his actions were telling me what I wanted and needed to hear, but he was reticent, forcing me to fill the silence with insecurities. Maybe it's time to trust action and make the choice to be happy, to choose the stable, loving man willing to give me the life I've been looking for. The positive thing that came from the failed pregnancy was the opportunity to get to know each other better, a chance to feel out whether or not we actually want to be together without the pressure cooker of a brewing baby. This was going to give me the opportunity to get to the bottom of my insecurities and confirm that he is, in fact, the man I want to raise a baby with. The only complication now is that he'll be going through a grieving period. This is going to force me to be patient and wait to have the inevitable hard conversations, which is tricky as they're looming in the background of every date we have. I suppose, since the baby wasn't on its way, it released the pressure of having to have the answers right away. But I'm not good at sitting on things. Which, I better start practicing. If this works out, I will be a full-time bottom. Hashtag learning new things. (laughs) Only time will tell what the future holds, I suppose. But I do think I've started to make better choices. Choices that put me in control of my happiness and my destiny. (laughs) We'll see. I'm off to meet him now to discuss the plan for the remaining embryos. Thank you for listening to The Cultural Experience, Season 1, The Alphabet Chronicles, the podcast that's 100% true, except when it's not. Essays are written by Cole Grissom, inspired by real events, but rest assured, if a character resembles you in any way, I promise you're wrong. If you like what you heard today, subscribe, share, tell your friends, your frenemies, your bad dates, your good dates... The guy in the alley you're planning on giving a handy to later tonight. Tell them all. Until next time, friends.